It's a privilege to bring God's word this morning. Uh, Daryl's away and David's on leave, so it's up to me to tackle some of these difficult issues in this passage. So how about we pray and ask God to speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus that we can come before you because of all that he's done for us on the cross. Lord, thank you that you've made us your people, that we can be your body. And Lord, we just pray that as we gather this morning, as we sit under your word, that you would speak clearly to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, encourage us, rebuke us, and point us to Christ so that we would live for him and we would be a church that displays your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you might have seen that there's a new type of church around today, and this church, I call it Me Church. So let's have a quick taste of Me Church. The service kicks off with a couple of songs, and it's not really about singing together or praising God, but it's about that new song that I wrote last week. It's about picking my favorite songs, the songs that I love, or my new guitar pedal that's rocking everyone's ears. The songs finish, and someone comes up and welcomes everyone and gives the announcements, but it's not really about welcoming you to church. It's about my new haircut, my trendy jeans, that Jesus tattoo on my forearm. And then the preacher gets up. It's not really about God's word that he's talking about. It's about the anecdotes, the jokes, the lofty words. Welcome to me, church. It's contemporary, it's relevant, and it's all about me. Or maybe that description is just a little bit exaggerating, but all of us have heard or felt or seen this kind of church trend today. People, leaders in churches who forget that it's all about Jesus and make it all about themselves. Well, today, as you've seen, we're moving back into 1 Corinthians. We're going to finish uh, this letter. And as we tackle this long and difficult passage this morning, hopefully we'll see that this Me Church trend isn't just a current style. It's been a battle since the early church in the New Testament. You see, the church of Corinth, as we've seen before, is a typical Me Church. And while this chapter talks about really different issues, praying, prophesying, head coverings, and the Lord's Supper. It's all a bit random, isn't it? Well, I think there's actually a common thread through it all. It's all about the church gathering, the Sunday service, or whatever it is, and it's all about division in the church. You see, it's all about this me-church mentality. Uh, these divisions are here because uh, people in the church, so if they're thinking and acting that it's all about themselves, all about me. And Paul comes and he says in this passage, he says, hang on, hang on guys, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about his death and resurrection as we're reminded this morning. It's about him serving others and laying down his life for them. And we might not look like this church that uh, uh, I've described before, and we probably don't have these issues like praying and communion uh, like the church had in Corinth, but I reckon all of us suffer from this me church syndrome. When you make things in church, that's all about you. Whether it's where you serve, instead of others, it's all about you. 
Maybe it could be how you act. I need to be first. Maybe it could be your views. I'm always right. It has to be done my way. So this me church trend isn't just a big modern church thing. It's not an early church thing either. It actually applies to us too. And as we go through this chapter, uh, we may go a little bit faster than I'd like to, uh, and we might skim through a few verses and a few topics that we just need more time to look at. But I think God wants to remind all of us this morning, even to rebuke us this morning, to say that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done and how we respond to him together as a church, as God's people. And the first section starts in verse 2 and goes to verse 16. I've called it Me Church Praying. It's really easy to get sidetracked uh, with some difficult and hot issues here, but basically it's about a church service this morning. It's about how people were praying and how people were prophesying or sharing how the sermon applied to them. Now you might be thinking, how can you turn prayer and sharing into a divisive, me-centered thing? Well, imagine if someone came up this morning to pray, and this guy purposely decided to put on a blues jersey or an all-blacks jersey when he came up to pray. Or maybe he put on an I Love Bill Shorten shirt, or maybe he was wearing one of those onesies that were up here last week. Maybe he was just wearing a singlet, bodies, and flip-flops. Well, I reckon heaps of people would get distracted or even divided. And the focus would be less on the prayer and more on the statement being made. And in a similar way, but on a more serious level, this is kind of what Paul's talking about here. It's this attitude in the public church gathering, me church praying. It's all about me. So let's have a look at verse 2. He begins with praise. He says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions as I pass them on to you. But have a look at verse 3. The tone quickly changes. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is is God. Paul quickly moves from praise into his teaching mode. And we don't have time to go deep into this, but basically he's saying, I've given you this teaching, and this is God's created order. The head of man is Christ, the head of woman or the wife is the husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, it's not saying who's superior or more stronger or more important. It's not saying that women can't do certain things. Paul never says that women shouldn't pray or be involved in a church service. But Paul's highlighting here a kind of order in God's creation. And it's one of uh, the things, the early church customs, that uh, they did uh, with this order. These guys in Corinth, they weren't showing God's order in their gatherings. In fact, when they prayed or when they shared, they were doing the exact opposite to God's order. They were purposely making a statement against this order. And it all centers around what the passage calls a head covering. Now, most would say it's about a covering or a veil on the head, and it's a really cultural thing that we, we probably don't really understand in the Western church. But the custom was back then, husbands, no coverings, and wives, yes, coverings. 
might seem outdated, but for wives, the head covering uh, in the first century kind of served like what a wedding ring does today. It was a symbol in that culture to show that she's married, that she's taken, that she's not available, and that she's not that immoral kind. And for a woman and for a wife to take off her head covering, it's just like if a woman took off her wedding ring and went to the club, or she's coming up to church to pray and she's going, here's my wedding ring, I'm taking it off, it's coming off, have a look fellas and ladies, uh, there's nothing on my finger and it's right here and we're gonna pray. If someone did that, it just dishonors her husband, it dishonors other men and other women and the whole church. And in this culture, it was a statement of independence. It's saying, I'm not with him. I don't submit to him. Even to the point of saying, I'm free and I'm available. It's not a great statement in the church gathering and not a great statement in immoral Corinth. But that's what the women were doing. Have a look at verse 5. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. You see, these women, they were abusing or exploiting the church service to make a statement of themselves, a statement of independence and turning God's order completely upside down. They were dishonoring their husbands and dishonoring everyone else in the church. They were just causing division uh, because of their bold statements. And they were doing this all in the public context of the church gathering. Paul goes on in verse 7 and 12, he says, uh, and he unpacks God's created order. There's a couple of difficult phrases here. Uh, we won't be able to unpack them fully. Uh, and some of the wording here is a bit hard for our modern day filters, but Paul's trying to say something like this. Men and women are different. Look at the Genesis account. Man was created in the image of God, and women came from man. And woman was created for man. Different. But when men and women are also equal in the Lord. Neither are independent of each other. Eve came from Adam, and all other men come from a woman. And everything comes from God anyway. So men, women are equal but different. And God's people must live according to God's created order. Not to be contentious about it, not to rock the boat or be rebellious about it, and especially not to do it in the context of a church gathering. It's just not the right place to cause a stir. So Paul tackles this me church praying. He says, cut it out. Stop being divisive. Stop abusing the church gathering. Because God's church isn't a me church. It's a cross-shaped church. It's not about me, my rights, me first. It's not putting the focus on me, but it's about Jesus. How he laid down his rights for us. Others first. Focus is on Jesus, not me. And as we keep going, me church praying, that wasn't it. You see, these guys, they suffered from me church communion. And just like before, it's all about me, 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 me first, my rights. Now, we've all heard this section uh, being read during communion. We heard a bit of it this morning. 
And I'm hoping that today, as we go through it, we'll see that it's not just Paul giving some instructions out of the blue in how to do communion, but it's set in this letter to this completely messed up church, a church of divisions and selfishness. Uh, Look at Paul's seriousness in verse 17. He says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. No praise. It's serious stuff. And then he goes on. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. You see, sometimes divisions are good. Uh, They show who's God's people and who aren't. But these divisions in Corinth, what's happening here, it's just completely messed up on another level. Last week, if you remember, we had our anniversary service. Uh, don't know if you've had this experience after the service, but we usually have some awesome food and cake and Tim Tams and whatnot on the morning tea bench. But always, every year when I get there, all the good stuff has been gone. It's probably all the kids' church leaders and the teens. They've taken all the good food and all I'm left with are plain fat-free crackers. It's probably good for me. And this is kind of what was happening in Corinth, verse 20. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. You see, the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper in the context of a dinner, kind of like the dinner we had last Sunday night, but they had communion on top of it. Uh, The whole church would gather to eat, but what would happen was the rich and the well-off people, they would get there on time and early, but the poor, the slaves, the workers, they'd always get there late because they had to work late and clean up and and lock up and stuff like that. And what was happening in the church was that the well-off people, they'd come early or on time, but they wouldn't wait for the other guys. In fact, they'd eat first. They'd eat it all. They'd drink it all. And when the slaves, when the poor, when they finally got there, all the food was gone. All the drink was gone. And all these guys had for dinner was a bit of bread and a sip of wine. You see, these well-off groups, these cliques, they were doing me, church, communion. It's all about me, my satisfactions, me being full and drunk. Uh, And the slaves, the poor, those guys, they get nothing. And that's why Paul says, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. You've changed it into rich man's party instead. So Paul turns, and he turns to these people and he says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. You see, they got it all wrong. They turn something again, so God-focused, so Christ-centered, and they turn it into something about themselves. And it's in this sort of context that Paul gives these famous instructions. So it's kind of like a rebuke. He's saying, you guys, you made it all about you, but this is what it's about. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's all about Jesus, not ourselves. What a rebuke. What a reminder. It's all about him, his body, his blood, his death. It's all for us. And these Corinthians, this church, they made the Lord's Supper all about themselves. Me, church, communion. And this selfish, this me, church nonsense has no place in the church. That's how verses 27 to 32 fit in. It's not a general warning, but it's a warning against this me church attitude. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Paul saying to the Corinthians, when you do communion, make sure you discern the body of Christ. Or in other words, he's saying, think about those around you and think about your relationship with them, the way you're treating them. Are you thinking me, church? Or are you thinking like Christ, others first, building up the body? It's serious stuff. Paul's asking, are you doing church your way or Christ's way? Paul says that God uh, punished those who take church and make it all about themselves. He judged them and he disciplined them. And he judges us and he disciplines us so that we would stop living this me church way and start living like Christ. So Paul finishes off with this Congress 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something, so that when you eat together, it may not result in judgment. A simple solution for Paul. Eat together. Eat a bit at home if you're hungry. Don't bring this me church added into the church. Don't bring it when you meet together. Instead, act like Jesus. Act like the cross-shaped church church that's about each other, about unity as God's people, and living out the gospel, living out Christ front and center. That's what it's all about. So we've looked at two quite different issues here in this chapter, women and head coverings and the Lord's Supper. But I hope you've seen this thread that ties both of them together here, this me church attitude. It's all about me. I want to do it this way. I want to be first. And the result of this attitude is division, dissension, and anything, anything but the gospel. And it's really easy for this attitude to breed into our churches today, even in this church this morning. I guarantee you that every church and every person suffers from this me-church attitude in some way, shape, or form. It's because of sin. It's our sin problem. It's probably not about head coverings, definitely not, and it's probably not about the Lord's table, but it could be about anything. But I think God wants us to examine ourselves this morning, 
just like Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves and to ask, where does this me-church attitude exist in this church today? Where does this me-church attitude exist in me, in you today? Uh, maybe it's music to choose a hot topic. I want to sing the songs I like. I want the instruments to be played my way, even if it divides the whole church. It could be the way I serve. It's got to be done my way. It's all about me. I need to have priority. My views are most important. Maybe it's about how we approach church. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to change. I don't want to be rebuked. I don't want to submit to my leaders. I don't care what everyone else is saying. I want to serve instead of serving. I don't like this. I don't like that. Why can't it be done the way I like? Whatever it is. How are you acting and behaving with this me church attitude? It's not about pointing fingers at others, but it's about ourselves. Where does this me church attitude have a hold on you? This attitude that says, it's all about me. I want to do it this way. I want to be first. I want to be comfortable. When, if we think about it, it's not my church. It's none of ours. It's not your church. It's not his church or her church. Jesus says, it's my church. I'm the head. He says, in fact, I gave to my church my whole body, my whole body, and every last drop of my blood. Like the song we sing, now my debt is paid, it's paid in full by the precious blood that Jesus spilled. The Corinthians, they said, it's all about me. If I offend you with my head coverings, then too bad, suck it up. If I offend you by eating first, then too bad, suck it up. And today we've looked at Paul's response, at God's response to this attitude. Or imagine if Paul wrote a letter to us, to Sunnybank District Baptist Church. What would he say in this passage? Would he praise us? Or would he say that our meetings do more harm than good? Where would he see this me-church attitude? Where would he see it in us corporately and in each one of us individually? How he to you this morning? Let's strive instead for a cross-shaped church. Not a me-shaped church, not a church that's all about me, but a church all about Jesus. His body, his blood, his death, all for us. And like we're looking at this here, transforming us from people who are selfish and self-seeking to people who live for Jesus and put others first. That's the kind of church that Jesus wants. So let's pray as we finish off that we'd be that kind of church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words of warning this morning, reminding us of our deeply sinful nature and our selfish attitude to church. Lord, we ask that you'd search our hearts this morning, that you'd bring to light the places where we put ourselves first instead of putting Christ first. And Lord, instill in our hearts and minds a Christ-like attitude to church, that as we gather as your people, we would love each other, that we'd respect each other, 
we'd honour each other, and we'd build one another up in Christ, pointing each other to him. Lord, remind us, challenge us, rebuke us, and encourage us this morning. Lord, help us to make it all about Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in our lives and in this church. For the glory of Christ, we praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.